I'm Derek Fildebrandt, publisher of the Western Standard. Today is June 14th, 2023, and you're watching The Pipeline. I'm joined, as always, by Western Standard Opinion Editor Nigel Hannaford. How are you, Nigel? I'm good. Thank you. We've also got, as usual, Western Standard Senior Alberta Columnist Corey Morgan on a reduced, uh, less furious column writing uh job i guess then since uh, since the campaign Take yeah no, no, they're gonna be a little easier pumping them out quite as much as during campaign period i'll, yeah. I'll still have plenty of rants to get out there though good good all right well today we're gonna be uh we're gonna be talking about uh the federal public safety minister mr mendicino what's his first name again marco marco marco, marco mendicino mm -hmm. uh dubbed by some as the minister of lies while caught in another probably i guess suppose it's not 100 percent, but Oh boy, she looks like a big lie. Uh, this time about his role with uh, moving of Paul Bernardo to from a maximum security prison to a medium security prison, uh, doing his best in uh, impression of Sergeant Schultz. Uh, I see nothing. I see nothing. I hear nothing. Uh, we're going to be talking about that. Uh, the Liberals also on the ropes, though, uh, following the resignation of David Johnson as Justin Trudeau's special rapporteur, uh, bending to what seems like the inevitable, uh, resigning from the job, putting this all back in the lap of Justin Trudeau. We're going to talk uh, not so much about the resignation itself, but the fallout from it. What are the consequences, the political damage? Where's the potential inquiry going to go from here? I'm going to talk about the new Alberta cabinet uh, sworn in on uh, Friday. Uh, Smith putting her stamp on things as uh, she swears in her first cabinet uh, after receiving a mandate from Alberta voters. Before we get started, though, I want to thank my favorite sponsor, the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. I've been a member of the CSSA for more than a decade because I trust them as Canada's leading firearm owner rights group. Uh, without the Canadian Shooting Sports Association, the federal government would have an open target on your guns. Uh, it's important for law-abiding firearms owners in Canada to stand together against government, particularly federal government attempts to uh, not let you use your guns for anything, and more importantly, to take them away. So if you're not yet a member of the CSSA, go to cssa-cila.org, or do what I do, just Google them, and click on membership and join today. Okay, uh, Mr. Marco Mendicino, already dubbed... Uh, by some, you know, uh, probably not his family and friends, but dubbed by some as the Minister of Lies for a whole very long list of uh, statements he's given that have been uh, probably lies. Uh, now we find out, I think it was just yesterday, uh, that was it yesterday or the day before? Day before. Day before, that uh, Paul Bernardo, one of the most notorious. Uh, mass murder. I don't know if mass murder is the right word because he's not uh, a serial killer either. Uh, no, three for a serial killer, I believe. So that would be. The, but it has to be like a pattern, not kind of all at uh, once. I, yeah, I, I don't know where. I just killed a lot of people. That's something I want to know a lot. Brutally, about. brutally <laughs> raped, tortured, and murdered teenage girls along with uh, now a parent volunteer at her school, uh, Carla Molka. Uh, he has been. Um, denied uh, just being uh, justice was denied and that he wasn't burned alive or filleted like the animal he is but uh he was given a life sentence in a maximum security prison and uh that's well he's not he's not there anymore uh the powers that be have moved him to a medium security prison 
this morning I kind of flippantly called it a club fed. Uh, medium security prisons are not club feds, I guess. They're they're not easy. They're not the minimum securities. You know, they're probably not playing golf on their breaks. Uh, but they are markedly less severe and less unpleasant than a maximum security prison. Um, Marco Mendicino says, I knew nothing about this. Uh, I am outraged, positively outraged, that uh, this, uh, this monster would be moved to a medium security prison. Well, then the news came out uh, I, uh, last night or this morning that, uh, in fact, his office was notified. Um, so I guess really, uh, now Pierre Polyev, conservatives are demanding his resignation, saying he lied, he did know about it. I suppose, Nigel, there is a technical small possibility that this note came through his office and one of his staffers looked at this as says, Paul Bernardo being sent to a significantly less uh, unpleasant prison. That's not news. Let's just pass it on. What are the chances that uh, one of the staffers in this office just did not think this was noteworthy to pass up the chain of command uh, versus uh, what the conservatives are alleging that, no, obviously someone in his office did tell him he did know about it and therefore lied to Canadians in Parliament. So there are two possibilities, aren't there? One is that the staffer concerned was born less than 30 years ago and didn't actually live through that particular period of Canadian history when this was the hottest topic. Uh, or if he lived through it, it didn't mean anything to him because he was in grade school. Actually, it's thought to every kid in grade nine uh, uh, social studies or, or legal because of his accomplice, Carla Homolka, and the double jeopardy things. Around. So even people born long after this, they're taught this in high school. And I'm guessing that everybody in the minister's office is probably well, sure, gone through why, high school. Why would you teach that in high school? That's a... That's a they got a course on killers. I, I don't know, yeah. but anyway, maybe that maybe he should have known. I'm 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 saying there is a strong possibility that the person you know working in these ministerial offices are often very young and just didn't recognize the significance of it. The other possibility, which I it's the one I lean to actually, is that somebody said, "Oh, that is something for which the minister should have plausible deniability." Just don't tell him so that he can get up and say, I had no knowledge. If we find that somebody gets fired, dismissed, moved on to something else, that will tell you something about whether it was how deeply Mr. Mandicino feels about the fact that he wasn't told. So that's excellent segue to my next question, Corey. Um, uh, Melissa Lassman, one of the two deputy leaders of the conservative opposition, question period today, uh, she said, uh, asked uh, Mendocino something to the effect of, you know, she said, uh, you're blaming, you're throwing your staff under the bus. You're saying your staff, because we now know your staff knew. You didn't say earlier your staff knew. She said, we had no idea. I had no idea. We had no idea. Now it turns out your staff knew. Uh, so if you're going to throw your staff under the bus, which staff have you already fired for this? Because clearly, if there's ever a fireable offense, it's not passing that one of the most notorious murderers in Canadian history has been moved to a significantly comfier prison. Uh, so, so, so her, yeah, her question was, okay, fine. If this was your staffer, who was a staffer and have they been fired yet? And uh, he's got no, no answer for that yet. I mean, you would think if there was a clear person to point to, I mean, the, the, the liberals... The fact no, that no one has been No fired politicians leads hesitate. me to think that, no, he was told. Yeah, to, to throw them under the bus. And, and if you can't find somebody, then... 
you're going to be stuck with it. And as you said, he's known to just get out of situations by just speaking to the contrary and letting it blow over. And, and uh, But now he's been caught in what is very probably a lie. No staffer has been fired. Clearly, they would know who this is because you sign off on these things. Yep. There, there's a clear paper trail of all this kind of stuff. Uh, no staffer has been fired, which leads me, Nigel, to believe that this was not a staffer issue. That well, no, this was the minister. Yeah, and and let's let's say it was a staffer issue. There's we have a thing in this country called ministerial responsibility. Oh, how quaint in British. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. I it's it's. Uh, it's very charming. But the fact is that if one of his staff made a mistake, then it's his problem. He is the one who takes the fall, mm -hmm. not the unfortunate 25-year-old staff member who's three years out of university. You know, there, his judgment is supposed to be supposed to be the one that counts. And it's not like this is a first offense. It really is time for Mr. Mendicino to step aside. I don't know whether they've got anybody better, but that's... Uh, that's the state of the Liberal Party today. The other aspect was just the bad political judgment. I mean, if that came up the lines, you know, his ministry doesn't deal with every prisoner transfer that's going on out there. Somebody in Correction Services Canada realized this is something so significant, we better get a heads up to the others because we know there's going to be yeah. some blowback on this. It's not just uh, an unknown name. Mm -hmm. They don't typically uh -huh. send those memos up and, and that nobody it caught on to them that, boy, we got a firestorm coming, we better prepare for it. Yeah. It just defies belief. Um, I, I okay, well, you you talked. This is not his first offense here. Uh, both for I guess you know screw screw ups and lies. Um, we had a, almost a little mix up when we were talking about you know, our our topics for today. You're talking about Mendicino and Bernardo, and I was confu a little confused at first because uh, our sponsor, Canadian Shooting Sports Association, its executive director is Tony Bernardo. And I know Mendicino and, Ber and that Bernardo are fighting all the time. And then it got me thinking, which Bernardo does Mendicino have the bigger problem with? The one that's fighting for gun rights or, yes. or the one uh, who he's, uh, seems to, well, at least privately, not have a big problem with moving to a medium security prison? Uh, I mean, it's probably a little over the top to say he has a bigger problem with gun owners than uh, Paul Bernardo, but it... I think it's kind of insightful into the liberal mind that, you know, they, they're, they're so focused, and Mendicino in particular is so focused on pre-crimes, the people who have done absolutely nothing wrong, but we need to punish them, confiscate their otherwise illegal and lawful property. But this guy, one of the most terrible murderers in Canadian history, well, maybe we should ease up a little on him. Well, you, you know, Derek, it all depends what the ultimate goal of government is. And if it is to provide good governments, then everything you have said is absolutely correct. The guy should go. However, if the role, if the object of this government is to totally change the nature of Canada, part of which would be the removal of firearms from private ownership, then the man is actually doing what he has been instructed to do and um, I guess doing it quite effectively. So really he would be in Mr. Trudeau's good books for things that we sit here and say, how can, how can he get away with this? Mm -hmm. The fact is he's doing what he's there to do. So again, you're just setting up perfect segues. Uh, well, well, we talked about this before. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll throw it to you. A little bit. But uh, you know, most people, most ministers don't resign in the sense of, 
just, oh, I think, like, David Johnson resigned. I don't think he was told to resign by Trudeau because it was not good for Trudeau. No. I think David Johnson came to the conclusion, uh, this is not tenable. I'm not serving any public good here. I think it's time for me to go. And he resigned. Ministers don't resign that way. They get resigned. They don't resign. They get resigned. Mm -hmm. The prime minister sits down and says, you become a liability to the party and to the government. I need you to resign. And that's what happens. I, I can't. Has there ever been a fired minister? I can't remember. There has been, but in my I can't life, think of, I, can't think I can't think of one in my lifetime, but they have generally just resigned. Uh, is this guy going to be finally up to get resigned? Because Trudeau was stood by him through a lot of uh, less than ministerial actions. And I actually, I'm, I'm not aware of Trudeau forcing any minister to resign since he's been prime minister. Well, Jody Wilson-Raybould may... Well, he, uh, shuffled, he shuffled her out. Yeah, that's... He didn't outright fire her. I would have looked too bad, but he uh, he shuffled her out to some... Uh, if you make the chair uncomfortable enough, it amounts to the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, no, I, I, I come back to what I just said, that uh, as far as Mr. Trudeau is concerned, Mr. Mendicino has uh, demonstrated his ability and his willingness to say anything to protect the government, mm -hmm. even if it is not true. He will take the he will take the calumny and the criticism. That's fine. Government goes on and does what it wants to do. And for Mr. Trudeau, that makes him a pretty valuable minister. So I don't think he's going to get fired. Do you think he is he in a tenable position here? Because he, um, I mean, uh, technically there might be a plausible deniability that it went to his office. It's not normally known if it's shown to the minister, but. Uh, I mean, I see a very small chance that he did not see this. It seems very, very likely that he was clearly lying. Well, it do, just, do, it do, just do doesn't think... seem to matter, though. And he's a good foil. As Nigel said, he, he serves his purpose in the House. He'll just lie again, and, and uh, people will forget about it. The consequences mm -hmm. don't seem to land on the, the Prime Minister's office anyways when it comes to this, even though he is the one who appoints these ministers. I, I think at worst, Mendicino might not make it through the next shuffle in that role. Mm. But as for going outright, as you said, and pushing them out of there, I, I don't see the government ever admitting error that clearly. Just give them a different, uh, different podium from which to utter doublespeak. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's like one of those guys in the Mafia movies. It doesn't matter what you ask them to do. They go and do it, and they come back and kiss the ring. And things go the name but, Medicino. Oh, where did I get that from? Yeah. <laughs> um, that was racist. Anyway, Italian and Irish racism is still allowed yeah. on the Western standard because they're just too damn fun. Um, I, uh, I, I guess the last part uh, would be about Bernard himself. I'm actually not sure what the process is here, but generally what prison you're serving in is not a directly political decision. The minister doesn't get to say, well, you're going to go to this prison and you're going to that prison. That's And that's a good thing. I don't think we want the politicians deciding that. That'd be obviously too much direct involvement in the justice system. But they get to set the rules under which these things are decided. Uh, what do you think the chances are, Nigel, that Bernardo actually ends up back in a maximum security penitentiary? Well, if I were him, I certainly wouldn't be uh, sleeping easily at night with that prospect in mind. In the end, part of letting the whole thing go away is not keeping the story alive. So, if you uh, move him back to Either they're going to do it right away and get it over with, 
but they're not going to come back in a week's time or two weeks' time and make the story go live again mm -hmm. by moving him. So I would say... Well, they said, oh, I've asked for a review. Yeah. You know, he's just kind of kicking the can a bit. If can get it through the next couple of days, he's probably going to stay where he is. You think uh, Mr. Bernardo is going to get to stay long-term in his uh, comfier new dicks? I, I'm with Nigel in that if they're going to do it, they're going to do it soon. I think they might do it soon, though. This is something that... This gets to the core of Canadians, though. This ticks them off. And I, I know the system isn't supposed to be based so much on revenge or punishment, but when it comes to somebody in such a singular profile like Bernardo, that's yeah. an exceptional case. And uh, they, they may put the pressure on to say, just let's just bump him back into there and let yeah. people forget about it over summer. I don't know how many people I've talked to who oppose the death penalty, but then they're like, but I'd be okay if you got a prison shank. This guy, like, this guy deserves to die. Are we allowed to say that on YouTube that anyone deserves it? Well, I'm going to say it right now, Paul Bernardo deserves to die. And if we get banned for that. Well, those are mixed things. I mean, I've always been opposed to capital punishment because, I mean, I don't trust the government to get my taxes right, much yeah. less to, to execute people. But I wouldn't. We got we, him on film, though. Like, we. I, I, I wouldn't we know that if he was left in his cell with his shoelaces and happened to tie himself up or something. I mean, so be it. But. You know, uh, we should just put him in the same uh, prison uh, jail they had Epstein in. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. That, could, that could work. Let's Epstein uh, the guy. It's too bad we ever have to hear about that guy again. Though. You know what? <laughs> That'll probably get me in trouble. Because <laughs> yeah. Epstein did not kill himself. Well, the Clintons will be at your house next week. Do any of you actually believe Epstein killed himself? <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't bet my paycheck on it. No. <laughs> no. no. I don't think anyone actually believes that. I'm, okay. I'm surprised Come that Ghislaine is still making it. To be honest, that was a that was a tangent. Isn't that justice? There's only one woman involved in the entire massive racket, and it's the woman who goes to jail, not the men. Mm. Jeez. Okay, that was a tangents. I'm taking us on there. I'm gonna pull it back. Um, so I kind of alluded into this earlier about David Johnson. Uh, he resigned last Friday as Trudeau's special rapporteur, uh, special rapper. Um, he. I think was a rare resignation in any kind of political role in that I think he actually did resign on his own. I think I, I feel kind of half bad for the guy. I think he did accept with the best of intentions. He just should have known that it was inappropriate for him to accept it. The, the role shouldn't have existed to begin with. It was clear an inquiry was necessary. And that if you were going to have this silly special repertoire role, it had to be someone who was impeccably, objective and distant from any political connection or personal connection to the, the Liberal Party or to the Prime Minister or any of the subjects involved, which he was clearly not. Uh, we'll start with you, Corey. Was it inevitable that David Johnson was going to end up kind of eating it like this? Or, or at any point down on the way from him, his appointment until Friday was... Was there a way for him to steer a different way, perhaps by actually recommending the inquiry? I don't think it was inevitable, or even if he was going to recommend against the inquiry, he could have made a much better case for it than he could have had a better report. It was a, a half-assed, terrible report that he'd done. He hadn't thoroughly investigated things. If he had, even though there's still, of course, the opposition would be yelling he's too connected to Trudeau and this and that, but they'd say, look, he's doing his job. He's been interviewing this. He's concluded that. He's suggested this. Uh, you know, you guys are just smearing a good man who's doing a good job. But because he'd done such a terrible job, nothing was going to save that position, I think. I, I don't know, Nigel. I It was a terrible job, and that certainly compounded things. But I I think just his very presence from the beginning, not having the buy-in from the main opposition parties, 
made it untenable from the beginning. I think the only way he could have walked out of this with his reputation intact would have been to recommend an inquiry. But I mean, he clearly was not going to rec uh, recommend an inquiry. He, his mandate came from the prime minister. He reported to the prime minister. He made amply clear he was not working for Parliament of the People. He was working for the prime minister. In his own words, uh, was it inevitable that it had to end in tears this way? Yes, I think it was because the job as he originally took it was not able to be done on the terms that he accepted it. He had no power to subpoena people. That meant he was never going to get terribly close to the truth. All it was ever going to be was uh, conversations and a sort of a general feeling of, well, things weren't really done right and we should, we should have more talks. That was, it never was going to be anything else. There was one other thing about Mr. Johnson that I was not aware of when this first came up, and that was his own deep personal connection with China that has since been revealed in a number of articles. Uh, he's he's a, as a distinguished academic. He's a fairly frequent visitor over there. There's one particular university, I can't pronounce it, but uh, there's one place that he feels very close to, calls mm -hmm. it a second home. Three of his uh, children have been over there to study. So he, he's a sort of a, a friendly for China. So between mm -hmm. being a friendly for China, I actually believe he was a friendly to China. I'm not so sure he was actually that friendly with Trudeau. I think he probably was telling the truth when he said he had very little connection to Trudeau in the years since Trudeau became prime minister. And one of the reasons that I think that is that if he had actually had a closer connection to Mr. Trudeau, he would have known what a flake he was. And then he would have never got involved with the job in the first place. Possibly. So you have to believe him on that. But I'll know, tell you what, there's no close connection between Mr. Trudeau and Mr. Johnson now. Boy, <laughs> no more cozy little uh, Thanksgiving holiday. dinners I, and a ski holiday. I would agree with that. In the future. Although, even if he knew Trudeau was a flake, I'm, I'm still not sure he would say no, because he saw this as a public service. He's a, you know, He's been doing things for the public good in his whole life. He's... You know, previous to now, been wildly respected for his public service and selflessness. And you know, the way he put it was, well, you know, when you're asked to serve your country, you say yes. And that's out of West Wing. Nobody does that in. <laughs> that's. Uh, you know, I know. Yeah, I know. But I, 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 I could. He, well, he's old, so he might be old school. Like he's. I mean, he's not a spring chicken. He's. He might have a very old-fashioned view of things. And you're asked by your country to serve, so you serve. And even if. Even if your general is Sergeant Schultz, you go into battle. Well, I I would love to think that, and uh, because I actually still have a soft spot for him from the time mm -hmm. that he was Governor General, he did a wonderful job as mm -hmm. in that role, uh, and he was very very carefully chosen. And I think any significant skeletons in his closet would have been uncovered in the process that led him to be appointed. Mm -hmm. So I I still, but. You know, he's just got that central Canadian sense of uh, what, could, what could possibly be wrong with having a, another liberal fundraiser as my as my lawyer. They're good people. They, they, they know how to do the right thing. Well, yeah, but most people don't actually see it that way. Uh, they think there could be a conflict. And the fact that you're very friendly with China doesn't make it any better. So he, he would have been good to stay out of it. So this is clearly damaging to the liberal government, the liberal party. Uh, however, those two can be possibly distinguished. There's no question it's damaging. Uh, but I guess the question is, how damaging? Is it recoverable? Is it such a muck on them at this point, Corey, that they're not going to be able to wipe it off? 
Because I think Trudeau was... He has walked out of some doozies. He has cleaned blackface off of himself. He has uh, gotten through SNC Lavalin. Uh, the Wee scandal. Wee. I mean, like, uh, it's too many. I, I don't know what it takes. I mean, you know, if it hadn't been for all those prior ones that he's managed to slide out of, I would have said, yes, this is it. He's done. But you know what? I won't believe it till I see it now. I, I don't know what it takes. Uh, but, I mean, it's really looking dire, though. I mean, the polls are, are, are dipping and that's when things, I think, start to change a little bit. I was, I was talking to, to Jay Hill earlier on my, my show today, and he talked about that. You know, not every liberal member of parliament is unprincipled. I mean, a lot of them are getting tired of having to wear this odious mess themselves. And uh, some of them have ambitions as well, or they're worried about their own positions. And they've got to be starting to grumble a little inside. The liberals are very good at keeping it tight. They're fantastic. You know, conservatives are their own worst enemies, but the liberals hold the fort. But you know, behind closed doors, it's got to be getting tense. And and uh, particularly when the polls go down, that's when self-interest well, starts kicking. I in. don't see any chance of the Liberals turfing Trudeau. He he owns that party. He has fashioned that party in his own image. Uh, I guess the, you know, if he wants to fight the next election, he's going to be the Liberal leader in the next election. I have a very hard time. Uh, I mean, he's not an Alberta Conservative leader, for God's sakes. He is a federal <laughs> Liberal leader. And I I can only recall one who was truly turfed, and that was Kretchen with the Paul Martin Wars. Uh, they hated Gnadiev and uh, Dion, uh, but those weren't well-established like and Trudeau in, or anything. And they weren't in government. They yeah. weren't the prime minister. Uh, I want to get some from you, uh, you, Nigel. Is this the one? I mean, there's been so many big scandals, and Trudeau has gotten through all of them. But this one seems to rise to another level of seriousness and, and liberal actions to date. Um, go, just doing the most wild gymnastics. It's like Cirque du Soleil watching them bob and weave and dodge around having an inquiry. Even if they weren't guilty, boy, they sure look guilty now. So you're asking me, is this the one where they miss the trapeze and go right into that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Probably not. And the reason is that people aren't necessarily going to make their voting decision on this or on any of the scandals. Hmm. They know about it. They can't actually name them all the way you can, but they say, oh, I can't name them all. There's he's, well, too there's, too, there's too many. You run out of fingers. But the, uh, they're going to look back and they say, okay, we know, he's, we know he's a shady character. We know he's unprincipled. But you know what? I sure do love it when he stands up for my LBGTQ to in and out son or daughter, and I sure do like it when he uh, when, when when he rails against because I don't like Polliver and I just I just don't like him. I, I I agree with everything he says. I just don't like him. But I like it when Mr. Trudeau goes after him, and they're going to be making their decisions on everything except the things which we think sensible Canadians should make their voting decisions on is what are you going to do with the economy? What are you going to do with the armed services? What are you going to do with the health system that is failing? How are you going to well, relate to the problem? That's hardcore partisan voters. I mean, because yeah, no, no party goes down to, to zero. Partisan. Okay, but, you know, there's, uh, it, I mean, you know, the conservative, say there was a conservative well, There's a reason the Bible calls us sheep. We vote for stupid people and follow them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but just imagine the conservatives are in power and they're doing a bunch of things that we like on a policy level. But uh, it turns out the prime minister, uh, prime minister was a serial killer. Well, I probably would definitely want a new conservative leader, but it would never make me vote liberal. There's just nothing ever that can, just as there are a bunch of liberals 
who will always vote liberal. Yeah, maybe they'll go NDP. Who knows? But let's follow. Let's follow. But, but then there's a bunch of people in the middle who vote for a whole variety of reasons. Some of which are political uh -huh. policy. Some of which are more ethical, nebulous political. Um, you know, you don't need every liberal voter to say, "I'm done with the liberals. They're crooked." You just need, I don't know, twenty-five percent of them. Are these the people who, even if it turned out that the prime minister was a serial killer, would still vote for him anyway? Not the 25%. There'll probably be 25% at the bottom end who yeah. will stay with them, even if he's a serial killer. But uh, the, the furthest 25%, you know, they, they could move around. Well, they might go to the NDP, and that certainly would have the desired effect. Yeah. Well, let's talk inquiry. Um, it seemed an almost inevitable since the beginning that there was going to be an inquiry, because this is what they're for. This is a textbook definition. Mm -hmm. And the liberals have done everything on the face of the earth that they could possibly do. They have exhausted the playbook. They've done everything, and it's failed at every single point. As I was just saying a few minutes ago, if they weren't guilty, well, they sure found a way to look guilty. You know, it's like if you, uh, you know, the police come talk to you about a robbery of the local 7-Eleven, and you didn't do it, but you happen to pull out a pistol with the file number, uh, with, you know, with the serial number fired, filed off, and you're holding a bag of 7-Eleven stuff, and, and you, and you run away, yeah. uh, and you got no receipt. I mean, they certainly made themselves look guilty. This has led me to think that they're probably more guilty than I even assumed they were, which wasn't particularly... I was trying to be a bit charitable, but now I'm, I'm increasingly not very charitable towards them on this. Corey, is an inquiry now inevitable? Are we getting one? I don't know. It's something I, I don't like saying that. I don't want to cop out from you. <laughs> your, your best instinct. Do you think we're getting one or not? I think we're getting one, but I think it might be a year or so before we do. Before it starts? Yes, before they get that corner, before it really gets pushed to that point. You need Jagmeet Singh to play ball, and he's just not. Oh, if it doesn't start for a year, then there is no inquiry. Well, I can tell you that. If, if there's going to be an inquiry, it's going to be. The issue doesn't gonna disappear. I mean, whoever's been leaking this, I think, still has. Uh, a Trump-sized pile of file boxes in this house somewhere, and he's just going to keep putting it out there. This issue isn't going to go away. That's the, the thing. So, I mean, that's where I agree it's inevitable, but it's just how long? What is it going to take? Where's the tipping point going to hit? Yeah. And, yeah, maybe it'll be in a few months, but I got a feeling. I mean, look how long they've dragged it out this time. Nigel, they, they, they've tried everything possible, far more than I thought they would attempt to. Uh, and all they've done is hurt themselves more and more. They didn't come right out and say, okay, you know what? We're going to get to the bottom of this. This is about national security and our democracy. We're going to get to the bottom of this. They now look guilty. The only reason, the only reason to not hold it now is that they're far guiltier than even their least charitable critics have accused them of being. So that, you know, an inquiry is going to lead to jail time or the absolute devastation of the government's reputation otherwise there just doesn't seem to be any way out of the hole they're in right now short of an inquiry what's your better we get one yes but again it'll have its wings clipped there'll be something that makes it less effective than it ought to be either they the person doing it will not be able to subpoena witnesses uh, i think all i think all inquiries can well I mean, the inquiry that Mr. Johnson conducted could not. 
No, he but he was wasn't a, an inquiry. He was, was a special a rapper. Special rapporteur, but um, it was an inquiry by another. I'm adding yeah. that to my job title, by the way. Oh, yeah, I'm oh. a special rapporteur. Oh, man. I think that's mm. French. You can identify as whatever you like. Yeah. That's oh. I identify. I identify as special rapporteur. I mean, or another possibility is that, yes, we'll have a full inquiry, but it will report to the prime minister or it will report to the cabinet. And it won't never be, uh, unless there's a leaker, yeah, we'll never get to see it. There is an opportunity to really. I mean, it only uh, needs to push this past the point when the next election is going yeah. to be, going to be. There is a lot of opportunities to play funny with this because it's dealing with largely confidential documents, and so you know, uh, even a legitimate inquiry might just be able to say, "Well, you know, speak only in vagaries. I looked at things, and uh, there was maybe something over here, but you know, we can't really say what." So. The thing know. that astonishes me is that they, with all the resources they have and all the motivation they have, they've not actually outed the leaker, which no. makes me think that what Corey is thinking, that they may know who this guy is, but he says, listen, if you, put, if you pull me in, I can tell you that there's going to be a lot of stuff coming out from the secret. We're dealing with the clandestine person. services. They may have uh, shot him by now. <laughs> he could be dead for all we know. Oh, this is Canada. They can't afford the bullets for that. Oh, what do we, I don't know. When you're dealing with clandestine services, they will shoot. They'll shoot spies and leakers. They'll, they'll do it. So who knows? Just a test will be if anything else comes out. Okay. Well, let's move to something a little lighter. We're going to bring it back home here to Alberta. Uh, Alberta Premier Danielle Smith, fresh off of her uh, election victory, has sworn in her new cabinet. Um, some of the big jobs, uh, Nate Horner uh, gets finance. He represents Drumheller Stetler, big, big, sprawling Eastern Alberta riding. Ariana LaGrange, formerly the education minister, uh, she moves from education to health. So two, she moves from the second biggest budget department to the first biggest budget department. Uh, lots of squawking from the left on that one. They hated her in education. Uh, funny enough, even, uh, you know, I was a pretty tough critic of the Kenny government, but education was the one area where I was like, they're doing pretty good here. I'm liking a lot of this. Uh, so a lot of lefties not happy about her going there. Uh, Brian Jean uh, takes the very senior portfolio of energy. Uh, I mean, God, normally that's considered a Calgary job. For some reason, a Calgary minister gets it. Uh, you see where Fort McMurray might fit Fort McMurray plays yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca Schultz gets uh, environment, and uh, Demetrio Nicolaitis uh, moves from advanced education to education. So fairly uh, vertical move for him there. Uh, what are the big ones that stand out for you? Is uh, among the ones I've named and the ones I haven't named as the as the uh, the real appointments that stood out. Well, the ones that uh, first of all, I, I'm thinking about it like a rugby match, and you've got your, your you've got your scrum. And uh, you've got some heavy hitting people in the front line. We are going to have a confrontation with Ottawa over pipelines and over the use of natural gas for generating electricity for home heat and power. It's coming. I mean, this is what this Bill C-69 is all about. So who do you want out front? Well, who you've got out front is Danielle Smith, in whom I have every confidence. Brian Jean and Energy, in whom I have every confidence. And Rebecca Schultz, who I have learned to have confidence in in the leadership campaign and in the months since. That is a strong team to stand at the border and say no. Uh, 
So that was my first and overwhelming impression when she rolled out her cabinet. Now, you also mentioned Adriana Lagrange. As, as a self-declared unrepentant social conservative, I admire what she tried to do in education. And I thought, bring that perspective to health. She'll probably do all right. And then yesterday, I was listening to Rachel Notley condemning her, and I knew then <laughs> that Daniel Smith had made the right appointment. Uh, what are the big uh, big ones that stand up to you, uh, ones I've named or not named? Yeah, well, seeing LaGrange in health is showing that uh, Premier Smith isn't looking to just put somebody in then to smooth the waters and maintain the status quo. She knew that was going to draw fire, so she's ready to mm -hmm. fight a bit on the health front and with those, those uh, labor unions, and, and I'm heartened with that. As Nigel said, the way they're responding tells me she's over the target, and I think that's really good. Uh, Justice, you didn't mention, with uh, Mickey Amory. Mm. And I, I don't know a lot about him. I know Mo Amory. It's a, it's a, it's uh, yeah. His father who yeah. was uh, the MLA. And yeah. uh, Mo is in an interesting character as an MLA. Um, I just don't know. He's a big variable in a big position. Justice is not a minor. Uh, and he wasn't portfolio. a cabinet at all before, right? No. Yeah, it's no. a ma that's a major elevation. So that's kind of an unexpected. But there was uh, only three uh, lawyers. Yeah, so he had a really good chance. You got Brian Jean going to energy. We were chatting about this last week, and I think you guys were saying, oh, I don't know about Amory. I was like, mm -mm. three lawyers, three, all three are serving. Yeah, so, I mean, he's a big question mark sitting in there anyways, because mm -hmm. Justice is, you know, uh, well, Shando certainly learned that you can get in trouble in there, or, or uh, more so uh, Casey Madu. Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully Mr. Amory is, is just going to manage it competently. I, I don't think Justice is a big area where – Smith is looking for battles in the near future, but uh, you know, health, education, and the Ottawa front, I mean, they're, they're certainly huge. It's interesting that United front, as Nigel laid it out, when, it, when you can see the signaling coming from Premier Smith that that's where she wants to go uh, with the big main task of the government to begin with, and, and they're all three leader contenders for, in the last race uh, lined up in those key positions. So uh, I'm just uh, impatiently looking forward to fall to seeing uh, you know, what sort of direction she's going to put that cabinet in. And and I saw Rick McIver was, was put into transportation or no municipal affairs again. Wait, a job which he has been in before. Yeah. Uh, possibly. I uh, guessed he might go finance, but I was wrong. But uh, yeah. So, so I, that's actually where I want to go next is mm. the ins and the outs, right? Ins first and then notable, notable ins and notable outs. Notable ins, uh, Rick McIver, um, who I very much expected to return. Uh, uh, you know, he's very, uh, actually he's, Easily the most experienced minister in the government. He, uh, you know, he was on Calgary City Council for a long time. Then he was a minister under Redford, Prentice, Kenny. Uh, he's been a minister for a long time. And I, I was surprised not to see him in Smith's uh, first cabinet. Um, but back in now, I mean, uh, nine of 12 UCP MLAs in Calgary are in cabinet. Uh, so, so McIver. And then Nixon. That was uh, one of the surprised. ones we were talking about. <laughs> Uh, very controversial choice, Corey. It was. I mean, that was the one we kind of agreed. Ah, she, she wouldn't put him back in, or at least not in this first uh, run. But but he's back in cabinet. Uh, as we talked about, though, if there was going to be a flashpoint of caucus discontent or somebody uh, who's going to be problematic, Jason Nixon potentially could have been that. And there's some of the old, you know, keep your enemies closer. Mm. Uh, keep them in cabinet, keep them calm, keep them contained, and, and it's uh, one less thing to, to sweat. But there's also the possibility, Corey, that there could have been a serious conversation. So, all yes, right, I'm Premier, you're not. What's it going to be? I mean, you can do this. You can be out on your own and make it hard for me. I know you can do that. 
Well, but I, she could actually be doing something very good. I don't think she wants an adversarial no. minister in there. I mean, absolutely, right. you still want a functional so, one, and and you know, uh, a cabinet spot yes. generally buys you a fair degree of loyalty. Yeah, well, it should. Yeah, I, I suppose time will tell. I mean, it's generally been assumed that he was kind of the, the focal point of caucus discontent mm -hmm. against Smith. Uh, I mean, he could potentially be, but it would be considered a whole new level of treasonous to do it while in cabinet. Well, in cabinet, there's cabinet solidarity. When you go, when the cabinet speaks to caucus, mm -hmm. the cabinet is supposed to speak with one voice, never dissenting, even in a caucus meeting. So, uh, I mean, it, it could go either way, but uh, I mean, it, it definitely appears to be an attempt to, to buy some peace. Well, I certainly can't imagine that the appointment was made without some kind of explicit understanding. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't frivolous. There's no, no, there's no doubt about that. No. So some notable outs, not huge, not, not really big ones, but notable outs, uh, you know, when I went through the list. Um, Shane Getson, uh, he is uh, just north of Edmonton, so vaguely Edmonton area-ish, which generally puts you on a short list of cabinet now since there's no UCP MLAs in Edmonton. Uh, but he, uh, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't think he was, no, he wasn't anti-vax, but he made a bunch of news when uh, first reported by the Western Standard that uh, he had some very serious adverse reactions to vaccines. His face blew up. picture, yeah. Oh, I mean, it was, it was shocking stuff. <laughs> Holy crap. Um, and I, I think that angered... Kenny and some of the cabinet ministers that, hey, you're not making life easy on us here. Why don't you just keep this quiet? Uh, so anyway, he's not in cabinet. Uh, Bouchard, uh, he um, he's um, uh, he replaced Jason Kenny in Calgary. Lougheed, uh was backed by Take Back Alberta. Seems a fairly competent guy, and you know, nine of twelve Calgary MLAs are in cabinet. To be a Calgary MLA and not be in cabinet, you got to be wondering now, what the hell did I do? Mm -hmm. um, and the one that stands out to most to me is Grant Hunter. Uh, Grant Hunter is one of the longer serving MLAs there. He was elected first as Wild Roser in 2015. Very, very competent, um, uh, solid conservative. He served as an associate minister in Kenny's first cabinet minister for red tape reduction. So very minor role, but seems to excel at it. Kenny booted him out once the COVID rumbling started because he was a bit of a dissenter. Uh, but he ended up in the end backing Travis Tate for the leadership. So it seems like he would have been actually a pretty good fit coming in. Um, anyone else uh, from either of you who stands out as, huh, surprised, I'm surprised they're not in cabinet? Well, not really. Um, of the people that you've mentioned, most of them... You know, I watched these things fairly carefully, but they didn't create such a high profile for themselves. But when the announcement came out, I was thinking, well, just a second, where's, did I miss Grant Hunter here somewhere? Mm -hmm. You know, it, it just didn't, uh, yeah. didn't take me that way. And that's no reflection on the competence or the personalities of these men and women, but uh, um, she had a set of priorities, I think, that... Uh, this message, you know, there's messaging in the appointment of cabinet ministers. Either look, we're favoring this group or favoring that group, or we've not got enough women or something like that, you know. Mm -hmm. And that, I suppose, would be a. Yeah, we haven't uh, even talked about the whole diversity, diversity thing. Uh, the rest of the media could talk about the diversity yeah, uh, bingo yeah, card. I, I game. think you can get away with less women and cabinet I didn't even think about it. I didn't even think about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Oh, actually, oh, I forgot one notable in. Uh, Devin Dreeshen returns mm. to cabinet now. Remember, he was the Minister of Agriculture. Uh, there was 
a kerfuffle kind of in the last year of Kenny um, involving alcohol at the legislature. And everyone's so surprised there's alcohol at the legislature. Come on, I spent four years around there. Other than the, the Mormons, everyone is, everyone's imbibing quite liberally uh, from time to time. Uh, although some of this stuff, none of it was proven. It's a matter of responsibly. Yeah, you got to do it responsibly. <laughs> anyway, he returns as Minister of Transportation and Economic Corridors. The Economic Corridors is a new sort of portfolio attached to it, uh, which I know you're going to have more to say on possibly next week. We've got some columns coming up on it. Uh, not cabinet. But actually, it is a very notable out, but there's a very good reason probably for it, and that is Nathan Cooper. Nathan Cooper uh, is technically, I guess, still the speaker of the legislature. He was the speaker uh, from 2019 until now, uh, and he was um, uh, house leader uh, of the Wild Rose opposition from before, and actually interim leader of the UCP after the merger before Kenny was elected leader of the UCP. Uh, the single biggest nerd within uh, okay. a few kilometers of the legislature. The guy just... So you had Jay Healin on your show earlier yeah, no. about parliamentary procedure and stuff. Nathan eats policy. Jay Hill <laughs> is like Michael Jackson cool compared to how much of a nerd Mike, uh, Nathan Cooper is on this stuff. Uh, the guy's life ambition is to be the speaker of the Alberta legislature. He loves every and he second wants nothing of it. else. Yeah. So uh, he is a guy who would have, I, I think, been on a very short list for cabinet. If he's not in cabinet, it's almost certainly that he said, uh, "No, Madam Premier, I, I want to be speaker." So uh, and I and, and I he's I, been a good one. Uh, he's yeah. actually been a very good speaker. Yeah. So does the speaker in the legislature have the same kind of entertainment budget and privileges as the speaker in the House of Commons? No. No. Then why would you want the job? Yeah. Well, I, I guess he's just maybe not quite the drinker because uh, the uh, Speaker of the House of Commons has this uh, big cottage in the Gatineau side with this yeah. massive scotch collection. You, it's like a scotch library. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think any one of us, uh, maybe not you, but uh, if Nigel and I became Speaker, we had this unlimited library of world-class scotches that never ran out, we'd never get to work again. It, it, it would kill us. But it, it is something, you know, no, whether with Nathan Cooper, if you've watched him in there, I mean, he just, he thrives on it. He loves yeah. it. He does stuff outside of there. He educates on procedure and things. Yeah. See, it's good to see, actually. He's like kind of a brighter one. hammer for Lethbridge East. Yeah. Yes, it's nothing but fun. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, perfect timing. Uh, we're going to wrap it up there. We're going to wrap a tour it up. Um, eh? As come on. Please, please. Oh, come on. I have to work for the rest of the afternoon without ringing in my ears. It was a very special joke to me. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> it was special. Yes. <laughs> all right, Nigel, Corey, thank you very much for joining. And thank all of you for joining us uh, today. If you're not yet a member of the Western Standard, go to westernstandard.news, click on membership. It's only $10 a month or $100 a year for unlimited access to all Western Standard content. Thank you very much for joining us, and God bless. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada. And more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. You become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny.